Hello, everyone, and welcome to Mind Body Green's beauty podcast, Clean Beauty School. I am your host and Mind Body Green's beauty director, Alexandra Engler. Today, we are talking about a skin condition that affects more than 14 million people in the U.S. alone, and myself included. We are talking about rosacea. The inflammatory skin condition is marked by flushing, redness, small bumps, and even thickened skin in severe cases. It can affect all people, but is most prevalent in adult women in their 30s and 40s. Additionally, it can affect people of all skin tones, but can go undiagnosed with those with darker skin as redness isn't as easily identifiable. However, other signs of rosacea might be present, such as the postules, the redness in the eyes, and increased sensitivities. Like all skin diseases, its causes are very complicated. Many, many factors contribute to it, from genetics, hormones, lifestyle, the skin microbiome, and so on. And like, again, all skin conditions, it takes a well-rounded approach to address it. That can range from prescription and derm-approved OTC products to lifestyle modifications. We talk about all of them in this episode. And to help me understand the disease more in-depth, I invited on board-certified dermatologist Estee Williams, who regularly talks and lectures about the skin disease and works with the National Rosacea Society to educate people on how they can manage the condition. She also stays very up-to-date on all the new research, so she is the perfect guest to have on today. Dr. Williams, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to have this conversation today because I have rosacea myself. I I know that it is a a complicated skin uh, concern for those of us who have it and that, you know, it can look differently for lots of different people and that sometimes it goes a while before even being properly diagnosed. And so I really think this will be a super educational um, episode for a lot of people out there, especially people like me who, who happen to have this as well. But before we get into that, I would just love the audience to get to know you a little bit better. So can you please share your journey with us? How did you get interested in skincare and medicine? Sure. Well, first of all, you know, thank you very much for inviting me. Rosacea is certainly one of the conditions that I particularly enjoy treating. I find it, you know, very satisfying to help a patient not only figure out that the issue that they've been struggling with for a very long time is indeed rosacea, you know, not acne, not allergies, not eczema, but, you know, to really get an accurate diagnosis. But beyond that, to help them get progress in their skin and help them achieve clearer skin and also more comfortable skin. So as far as my background, I'm a board certified dermatologist in practice in New York. Come visit us. Our subways are actually safer than you read in the papers on most days. That's true. Match to that. I'm a New Yorker too. Right. There you go. I am on faculty at Mount Sinai where I, I am actually a volunteer faculty member there and I teach residents in a cosmetic clinic there as well. In my private practice, I see both cosmetic and medical patients of all ages. And I've been in practice for a little bit over a decade. 
I'm also a mom of four children and a wife. I'm a like avid born and bred New Yorker. I love this city and I actually live here as well. And my journey towards dermatology was sort of, you could say, meant to be, but also kind of accidental. So going back even to high school, I always was interested in, you could say, in skincare and aesthetics, sort of the funner aspects of dermatology. And I did, I did kind of always, you know, enjoy those things. I was definitely one of those people hanging out, you know, at Sephora in my um, free time. When I got to medical school, you know, I was seriously pursuing a career in medicine. I, I didn't at all have an interest in dermatology to begin with. I actually didn't know what I wanted to do. And it was only after my second year when I was looking into different uh, research opportunities that one had come up kind of, you know, that just caught my eye and it was at Memorial Sloan Kettering um, Cancer Center here in New York City. And it was a research internship for one year for a medical student. Um, looking at the kind of, you know, studying how moles change over time and the, the connection between moles and a skin cancer called melanoma. And you could say that after that research year, you know, when I learned more about dermatology and, you know, got to know more of the people in the field and more experience, I, I, it really piqued my interest. And so it was really that research internship that fortunately, you know, kind of got the ball rolling. Sure. <laughs> what is your practice like now? What, what sort of you focus on and, you know, how do you work with patients? My approach to, to patient care is to address the patient's entire, you know, spectrum of needs. And when it comes to dermatology, you have on the one hand the medical. And so that could be the need for an annual skin cancer screening to taking care of common skin conditions like eczema, acne, psoriasis, contact allergies, hives, you know, and, and the like. And then you have on that, on the other end of the spectrum, but still pertaining to dermatology, skin care and aesthetic issues that pertain to anti, you know, aging and, and one's appearance. And so when I see my patients, I look at them from all of these angles. Some patients are seen, you know, and, and, and seek care strictly for medical um, conditions. Some are coming strictly for cosmetic conditions. And in many cases, there is a very great overlap. And I think that it's those patients, especially the ones who I've known for a very long time, who, you know, have referred their friends and their family who I've gotten to know, you know, very closely. There really is like a very, almost like a seamless back and forth between the medical and cosmetic. So for example, you know, I could be doing a head to toe skin cancer check, you know, looking for changes in moles or changes in, you know, in, in, in different, in growths that we've been tracking, uh, for example. And at the same time, you know, the patient could be telling me about their regimen and how they're switching their night cream because it's colder outside. And so all these things are relevant. And I do, I do take care of both, you know, the medical and cosmetic. And, and because in, in many cases, they do overlap, especially in rosacea. 
Totally. I mean, I feel like so many parts of beauty do marry that medical and that vanity side. You know, I, I, I often talk about how skin is, it's really this window into your overall health a lot of times. And so a lot of, a lot of people who start noticing about skincare concerns, you know, it, they really probably are the root of the issue might might be something else. It might be something more um, health related. And I, I often know that that can be the case with acne. That can be the case with eczema. You know, there's just there's so much overlap here. So I, I completely agree with your approach for one. But let's get into rosacea since we're already, you know, we brought it up. What? <laughs> I mean, this is a very basic question, but I think I have to ask it to get started. What is rosacea on a basic level? Like, how would you describe the disease in simple terms? You know, quite simply, rosacea is a facial skin condition marked by varying shades of red. And I like to say that there are 50 shades of red when it comes to rosacea because there is a spectrum. Some people have blush look that comes and goes. And at the other end, some people have very severe breakouts. They look like acne, their pimples, cysts all over their face. And in addition with usually with some redness component as well, you know, and then everything in between. I do think what you bring up about the pimples and how that can be a part of the condition as well is, is interesting because, you know, rosacea can look different on lots of different people. So let's dive into a little bit more on how it can manifest on the skin. So when someone has rosacea and they do have those pimples, I mean, is there a way that you can tell the difference between the two? Sure. So both acne and rosacea can have pimples. Um, pimples are seen in both acne and rosacea and cystic pimples, which are those larger painful, you know, really red, deep-seated pimples. We call those cysts. Cysts can be also seen in both acne and rosacea. So when you're looking at someone's skin, or if you're looking at your own skin, and you see breakouts that, that you would call pimples, it's not necessarily the case that it's acne. One way to tell them apart, and, you know, I, I say one way, but the truth is you, you, need to, you need to think about a couple of things. So the first if there's background redness, so if the person has a history of looking like they're blush often or flushing very easily or even having hypersensitivity. So what that means is their skin is often very tight or itchy or very reactive. So they'll try a product and they tend to, you know, feel like they're allergic to it or, you know, they, they can't try things so easily because quote unquote, they have sensitive skin. So if you have that background skin and then in addition there's pimples, that's sort of a red flag for rosacea. If you have pimples, but you have not a single blackhead or whitehead, that's a red flag for rosacea because acne typically has blackheads and whiteheads. And those are those teeny tiny, they're like pinpoint, um, dots, you know, that are either literally black and, you know, blackheads 
or white, whiteheads. They're not pink. They're not inflamed. Those are the kinds that people like to kind of extract and, you know, squeeze out and something comes out of them and they do not hurt. And, you know, the third thing is that, and this is sort of trial and error thing, but if you've tried to treat these pimples with acne medicine and it doesn't work, or you've seen a dermatologist and they've prescribed acne medicines, many of them over, you know, a course of time, and there's been absolutely no improvement. That's another red flag for rosacea. It's funny, when I was going on my own skincare journey and I realized that I had rosacea, I it really was a sensitive skin component for me that really helped me make that connection there, that click, because, you know, I did have pretty traditional acne growing up. And I think I just assumed that I just kept on having acne, but it's the appearance changed a little bit over time or, you know, it just my acne had just started looking differently because I was aging or whatever it was. And it really was that sensitive skin component. All of a sudden, you know, I couldn't use a retinol. I couldn't use salicylic acid. I couldn't use all these things that I used to treat my acne with because I I would be beet red or, you know, all of a sudden I would feel like tight and flaky. Is that a is that a common thing that happens to people? I'm just curious, like, do people transition from very traditional acne to rosacea commonly in, in your experience? That's a great question. I don't know. You know, I don't know what the data is on how common it is for someone with one of, you know, one condition to, to, you know, to transition to the other over time. Certainly in the patients that I follow over, you know, a certain time period, whether it's, you know, five years or 10 years, you know, or, you know, I've been in practice for a little bit more than that, but I would say it's it's very uncommon to go back and forth, you know, to have rosacea and then it turns into acne and vice versa. But I do think if you're expanding and you're you're taking someone, for example, who's a teenager and they have acne, which is extremely common in in adolescence, and then fast forwarding to like the you know, 35, 40, 45 where you where that's the peak time for rosacea, I I think that's probably not uncommon for someone who's had acne as a teen to have rosacea as an adult, you know, and then a period of, for example, normal skin in between. But I don't think it's, I don't think it's that common to have one kind of right after the other and transition. Okay. Interesting. I mean, that, that makes sense. I, I feel when you think about it, like someone who might have acne when they're younger, developing rosacea in their forties or so, just because they do tend to be inflammatory skin conditions. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Exactly. So at the, at the heart of it, you know, the redness that we're seeing is due to inflammation. It's, it's vasodilation. The blood vessels are, are, they're open. And so they're coming to the surface of the skin. And we see that as redness. The, you know, there's certain molecules that are, you know, being released on a molecular level and the patient feels that as pain or as sensitivity. So, you know, in in that regard, there are things that are that are in common to the two. So, as you said, both acne and rosacea have a very strong inflammatory component, but there are things that are different. So, for example, when it comes to the hypersensitivity, 
Hypersensitivity is a feature of rosacea, but not of acne primarily. And the reason for that is that rosacea, like if you were to look under a microscope, that skin doesn't have a really good skin barrier, which actually puts it, you could compare it to eczema, like to bring in a third condition. You know, eczema also has a very poor skin barrier. You know, things are coming in and, and kind of assaulting and insulting the skin and it causes the skin to feel itchy and irritated. But rosacea skin is super sensitive because it doesn't have an intact barrier. So chemicals that you may put on in a moisturizer or in a sunscreen are, they're getting in more in this rosacea skin because the barrier isn't as closed. In acne, we don't have that issue as much. Now, one that's thing that's interesting is that when you look at some acne patients, you sometimes you see acne patients be very red and very dry. And usually that's due to medication side effects. So salicylic acid, benzoyl peroxide, retinoids, a lot of the acne medications have as their main side effect, redness and peeling. Mm. So when I, you know, when I meet a new patient and they have pimples with a background skin of, you know, background redness and, and um, dryness and flaking, and, you know, they may even say my skin is super sensitive. My first question is, are you on anything that's causing it to be red and dry and flaky? Um, or is this kind of how your skin is? And usually they're using products that are like high offenders for this issue, like benzoyl peroxide acids and retinoids. And so okay. we would not count that as features of rosacea. You know, that redness is due to medication. Got it. Got it. So I, it's like you can't just wear it. Yeah. If you see redness and pimples, you can't just say, okay, that's rosacea. That could just yeah. be an acne patient who's over treating with um, medication. Okay. Or who's, you know, who, who, who's having a side effect to a retinoid or who's getting acclimated to, you know, to, to, to their regimen. You need, you actually need to talk to the patient <laughs> and get some, you, you actually need to talk to the patient, you know, and get some information. And, you know, that's actually an interesting, it raises an interesting point, which is when I take care of patients with rosacea and acne, you really get into a lot of conversations, which many, many times there is like the there's a point, you know, you're trying to get at what they're using and how they spend their time and what, you know, what their chemical exposures are, how much sun they get. Do they overwash their face? But you also learn a lot about people in general and, you know, kind of like little anecdotes and tidbits will come up. And I do find that with these patients in particular, you get to know them very well. And I, I think that's maybe another reason I enjoy treating these conditions. I am... Sure. I mean, I feel like skin care is such a means of connection. It is it's so amazing why you just, you know, you start talking about one thing and then all of a sudden it's folding into something else. And I so I am right there with you. I, that's why I love being a beauty editor. So I, I totally get that. The next thing I wanted to ask, though, is, you know, we've talked a lot about redness and these signs. So I, I, I have fairer skin. I'm, I'm quite pale. Is there, does it appear differently on people with 
uh, darker skin tones? I mean, is this something that they, that people with darker skin tones might be dealing with as well and it just appears differently? So when it comes to, you know, seeing rosacea and skin of color, absolutely. Patients with all skin types can have rosacea. It is less common in patients with skin of color and it is more common in patients with fair skin. As far as how it presents, rosacea is, an, is a condition marked by redness. So we're looking for a color. And, you know, obviously it's a little bit harder to detect redness on a darker skin background than on white skin. So it's sometimes the diagnosis is missed. Mm, and But rosacea absolutely can present in patients of all skin tones. Okay. Yeah. So from my understanding, there are different types of rosacea and maybe these are just, you know, small subsets of rosacea. But I mean, is that, do I understand that correctly, that you can have different types of this condition? Yeah, absolutely. So there are different subtypes of rosacea depending on the appearance and anything from, you know, that flat redness, that flush and blush look to a papulopustular type, which is basically pimples. And then there is ocular rosacea, which is a rosacea that affects the, and there's even a severe form called rhinophyma in which the skin becomes very thickened and waxy-like. It actually changes, you know, permanently in, in it and how it looks. So these aren't just pimples that come and go. The skin becomes very bumpy and very waxy, usually on the nose and, you know, very enlarged. So, and patients usually with one sub subtype tend to stay within that subtype. Oh, interesting. I, I would assume the first two were the most common. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So it's just kind of that flat redness or the, the ones that have, you know, small pimples. I'm, I'm curious, do we know what causes this? I know that we've mentioned that it's, you know, largely marked by an inflammatory response. Is that the cause or is it something else? Is it genetics? Like, are there multiple factors at play? So what causes rosacea? Rosacea is not that straightforward. It's considered a multifactorial disease, which in doctor terms means we don't really know. It has a number of causes. So first, the nerves aren't properly communicating with the blood vessels. So the nerves are inappropriately telling blood vessels to open and dilate, and that manifests as redness. Second, there's a high level of inflammation in the skin. And third, it's thought that there is an abundance of demodex, which is actually a mite. It's a tiny little mite found on everyone's skin, but possibly in slightly greater numbers in rosacea patients. Although that is a bit of a controversial subject, but yeah, exactly. You know, and then fourth, you know, when we look at the demographics of rosacea, you know, being, you know, more women in their midlife decades, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, one, you know, can't ignore the connection with hormones and hormonal changes. And so I think that there's definitely, although it hasn't been as defined, we know that there's a hormonal component to rosacea. And this is why patients with rosacea tend to report 
flares during pregnancy, during perimenopause, and then rosacea does tend to really quiet down, you know, as a person gets older. Fascinating. I I really kind of only understood the inflammatory response. The the hormone component absolutely makes sense to your point. The mites one is very interesting. So that that kind of speaks to the the skin microbiome, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. No, we know we know most about the skin microbiome for conditions like eczema and acne, but yeah, absolutely like there's there's no doubt that all these little microbes living on us, whether they're bacteria or or fungi or in this case mites are are playing a part in in normal skin and in, you know, disease states. It's just a matter of us figuring out, you know, you know, what exactly is going on. But in fact, one of the therapies that's used for rosacea, which is ivermectin cream, which is, you know, brand name is called Sulantra, is actually an anti-parasitic cream and targeting the demodex mite. So fascinating. So in this case, yeah, you have sort of the the translation of this, you know, this like, you know, basic science factoid into a clinical therapy. Mm, That's really cool. Yeah, which works you know, very well, by the way. So I I want to talk a little bit about flare-ups because, you know, obviously those are what are suspected to be the causes, but then people tend to have flare-ups that might be associated with whatever their triggers are. So I'm curious, what are some common triggers that you, that you know about or at least like hear about anecdotally? Well, studies show that the two most common triggers are sunlight and stress. One large survey of rosacea patients found that sunlight and stress, the two S's, um, accounted for 80% of, you know, patient reported triggers. So the interesting thing here is that we can't avoid those things. Yeah. Sun and stress are just inevitable parts of life and when I'm counseling patients it you know sometimes it does seem a little bit silly for me to tell them you know these are your two main causes or you know they may be your two main triggers and you need to try to avoid them we can't avoid sunlight and we can't avoid stress what we can do with sunlight is number one use a physical or mineral sunscreen as opposed to a chemical sunscreen so this is super important not all sunscreens are created equal. Yeah. A physical or mineral sunscreen, which is based on zinc with or without titanium, is better for rosacea patients. A chemical sunscreen has a high chance of irritating rosacea. And when it comes to stress, you know, there are certain things that patients could do to try to keep stress levels down. And obviously this is patient dependent. Do foods play a factor? I have, you know, I think I've seen at least anecdotal reports that like eating spicy foods might cause flare-ups. Is that true or is that just kind of like a rosacea myth? Well, in the same survey of rosacea patients that was conducted by the National Rosacea Society many years ago, they, you know, came up with a list of many triggers that were commonly reported by rosacea patients and foods were were you know off the charts so 
anything from red wine, avocado, citrus, nuts, spicy foods, tea, you know, like there's actually a very long list that I, you know, I'll send patients and I'll tell them, listen, you don't need to, you, you do not need to avoid everything on this list. But if there are foods that you eat in abundance, you know, that are on this list, I would try to do, you know, like a two week either avoidance or try to cut back and, and just see if it improves your skin. But the list is very long and it would be it would be unmanageable to avoid everything on that list, especially because many of those things are, you know, they're actually healthy foods. They're not, you know, the list is not cookies and cake. I think this food point is very interesting because like she said, many of the foods that can trigger rosacea flare-ups oftentimes fall under the quote-unquote healthy category. This includes things like coffee, hot teas, a wide variety of peppers and some other veggies, lots of herbs and spices, and even citrus fruits. So the idea of managing rosacea through your diet isn't always straightforward. I think sometimes in the food and skin conversation, we tend to want to oversimplify it and we categorize some foods as always good for the skin, whereas other foods are always bad for the skin. So this can serve as a good reminder that every person, skin type, and situation is unique. Categorical rules never help anyone and we should always approach each treatment plan as highly individualized. Yeah. <clears throat> You know, yeah, I know my my thoughts on that are I'd rather just have red skin and enjoy my life. <laughs> you know, like if I have to cut out coffee, no, thank you. <laughs> right. I mean, which, you know, and that's the other thing, you know, we, we go back to this issue of like, is rosacea dangerous? So, you know, when if if a person has coffee and it causes their skin to flush, you know, what's happening is that there's. There is an increase of blood flow in the skin and more inflammation. Is there, you know, is that dangerous? No. You know, if, if, if this happens repeatedly over time, you know, where a person spends more time, you know, in a rosacea flare than not, or if a person is often covered with cysts and pimples, you know, or if a person has ocular rosacea where their eyes are always red or itchy or stinking and, and it makes it difficult to see, you know, then, you know, then I would say we have a problem. But if if having a glass of wine periodically, you know, will cause you to, to flush for a little bit and, you know, and then it goes away, like there's no, there's no medical like danger in that. There's no medical danger in that. You may want to, you want to be aware of it and you may want to like plan for it, but you know, there's no danger in that. Yeah. I think that's a really good mindset to carry while you are thinking about how you treat your own rosacea, which kind of brings me into the next thing and that I wanted to talk to you about is how do you manage rosacea? I'm, I, you know, I'm sure there are multiple angles that you tell patients to, you know, manage the symptoms by, why don't we start with prescriptions? Can you walk us through the prescription options for those with rosacea? Absolutely. In terms of prescription options for rosacea, we have oral therapies, you know, pills that are taken by mouth. 
and topicals, which are creams. Or if a patient has moderate or severe rosacea, or the patient is very bothered by their rosacea, I will offer as much as I can. And that usually means both an oral and a topical prescription medication. So what are the options? The the only FDA-approved pill specifically for rosacea is doxycycline, um, 40 milligrams. It's a baby-dose antibiotic. There's a goes by brand name Oratia. And at this baby dose, it acts as an anti-inflammatory. So it is technically an antibiotic, but at this baby dose, it's not really killing bacteria. And so we don't worry about the typical side effects of antibiotics, okay. you know, with, you know, breeding of resistant organisms, yeah. yeast infections, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So again, very low dose um, doxycycline. Other pills that can be used for rosacea, number one, full dose doxycycline. So we could do 100 one, you know, to 200 milligrams of doxycycline, Accutane or isotretinoin, which people commonly think of as a, a treatment for teenage acne, can be used for rosacea. And you know, sometimes there are other antibiotics that are used as well. In terms of topicals, there's ivermectin cream, brand name is Sulantra. There's metronidazole, also known as metrogel or metro cream. There is azelaic acid, mm. also known as finacea foam or finacea gel. There are sulfur-based products and, you know, and there are some other over-the-counter products that are sometimes used, but those are the main ones. Okay, cool. Yeah, I mean, I would love to know about some of the over-the-counter options or at least, you know, ingredients that people can look for. Like if they if they don't feel they're at the stage where they want to go and get a prescription or, you know, whatever their reason is for starting with an OTC, like what ingredients should people look for? It's always best to see a dermatologist for help treating your rosacea and certainly to confirm the diagnosis. If you're unable to, to get an appointment or you're waiting for your appointment and you want to try some over-the-counter remedies in the meantime, uh, here are a couple of tips. So the first is you can get azelaic acid over-the-counter. There are products, for example, there's a brand called um, Paula's Choice. So you could get that over-the-counter. There's a, a La Roche-Posay has a Rosaliac, which is a line also for redness over-the-counter. Colloidal oatmeal soaks, like from the brand Novino, are also very soothing. So if you have a rosacea flare, the oatmeal can be very, very, very soothing. Vitamin B3, which is known as niacinamide, is also great for rosacea. And you could find that in many topical products. For example, SkinCeuticals has a product called Metacell Renewal. Uh, La Roche-Posay has a, a daily moisturizer called Tolerian Double Repair that has niacinamide. These are, you know, there's certain ingredients that you could find in, you know, in moisturizers, in sunscreens and serums that are going to also be beneficial for your rosacea. So if you could find niacinamide, if you could find glycerin, dimethicone, you know, these are things that are generally 
soothing. Some people like honey masks. There's a brand called Honeyvo and they make medical grade honey. And actually they have a honey product that's specifically for rosacea and it's meant to be applied as a mask. So that's another, another option. And then what sort of lifestyle adjustments do you encourage people to make? You know, I we've talked about stress and sun and how those are kind of how those are largely unavoidable. And we've talked about food. But, you know, are there things that you just that you tell people after the diagnosis that, you know, maybe they should be more mindful of that are a part of their habits? The first thing I tell patients with rosacea is not to experiment. Okay. That's a good one. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's so, a very but, good one. <laughs> yeah. So if you're coming to see me and I'm giving you a regimen, especially if it includes prescription medication, there needs to be some component of patience and, and, you know, give the medicine a chance, a little bit of trust, you know, in the medication to work. Adding too many products at home only makes things worse. We know and patients know that hypersensitivity is a main feature of rosacea. So when you go home and you add a serum, a moisturizer, a face wash, a toner, and then, you know, double all of that at night and you're trying to improve everything, there's a very good chance, you know, unfortunately that it could actually make things worse. And part of the problem is that Many over-the-counter products that purport to improve rosacea, even those that are super natural and have, you know, natural essential oils, can actually be very irritating. So we have a very nuanced opinion on essential oils around here in that if they work for you and you use them responsibly, they can be great ingredients. However, they are often touted as cure-alls, and we are always skeptical of anything or any product that is promised as a universal miracle, specifically with rosacea. As rosacea is a condition marked by its sensitive nature, we strongly encourage people to be careful with using them. Many, many people market essential oils as cures and remedies for rosacea, but these very potent ingredients are often too strong for the compromised barrier. We say this in the same way that we don't always recommend strong acids or retinols for people with rosacea. Essentially, if you have rosacea, you should focus on finding ingredients, whether those are synthetic or botanical, that can help calm and ease inflammation in the skin. And it's very difficult for your average patient to be able to select something over the counter and predict that it's not going to be irritating for them. So for that reason, I tell patients just don't experiment. It's not worth it. If we're starting our new medicines together, we need to see the effect of the medication and adding too many things over the counter is just going to confuse things. The second thing You want to use fragrance-free products as much as possible. And, you know, some people love fragrance, even people with sensitive skin, you know, or they have a product that they've been using their whole life and they, you know, they they just need to use it. And I understand and, and that's fine. 
but all things being equal, if you could pick something that doesn't have a strong fragrance, that's better. If you can pick something that has fragrance listed further down on the ingredient list or maybe even all the way at the end, <laughs> you know, that would be better. And then in terms of lifestyle, you know, we mentioned earlier that stress is a trigger for 80% of patients. You know, there's also a strong mental health component. And in surveys, 90% of patients with rosacea report low self-esteem. So what happens is there's almost like a, a cycle. So there's the stress and then there's the feeling bad about it, you know, and then you get more stress because you know that the stress is making it worse. Um, we can't underestimate the, the, the mental health aspects of this condition. This is a very apparent condition, so to speak. It's in your face. It's very difficult to cover redness. There are shades of red there that are very bright. There are pimples that are very deep, that are very raised, that are very widespread. And I mean, it's this, it's it's not so easy to be a 40 or 50 year old person who yeah. either going to work or interviewing or, you know, whatever it is, and then you're like, you're red and covered in pimples. It, you know, it's one thing if you're a teenager, it's you know, a little considered a little bit more expected. But when you're an adult and you have that, you know, it's it actually does cause a lot of distress for many patients. Yeah. Um, I actually have patients who will come in, you know, they'll they'll drive an hour or two even sometimes, you know, just for like a quick cortisone shot or a quick, you know, laser procedure just to get things better. You know, even if, you know, we, we've kind of like, you know, maybe we did that two or three weeks ago, but the flare is still ongoing or whatever it is. They need another little boost, be, you know, because they're so distressed by it. So this is, this is, this is not just an issue of appearance. I mm -hmm. think that this, this goes like deeper than that for many people. No, I mean, I completely agree. I, as somebody who, who does have, I would say a mild to medium case of it, when, especially when I'm having flare ups, it really does affect how I feel about myself. And, you know, I feel that I need to wear makeup to cover it up. Or, you know, sometimes I like, d I don't even want to leave my apartment because I'm like, oh, my face just looks so red and uneven or whatever it is. So, you know, it does have real effects on people. So I, I completely agree with you. And, you know, I think that's all just such, you know, that's been such all of the advice you have given has been really incredible. And, you know, especially talking about the mental health aspect of it is really, really important. The last thing that I want to chat with you about is what you do for yourself. I, I always end the episodes with asking my guests about how they take care of themselves. So let's start with how you take care of your skin. Do you have a daily routine that you stick to? I do seasonally. Okay. And then with, when the seasons change, I try to mix it up. Yeah. So I, you know, I'm a big fan of using a very basic face wash. I, I feel like face wash is only on for a couple of seconds. So if you have normal skin, your skin's not too oily, you don't have acne, you know, there's no need to, to be using anything too special. I happen to love the Vanny Cream brand's gentle face wash. And by the way, I don't have any conflicts of interest. These are just products that I like. I think it's about eight or nine bucks. 
um, yeah. at the drugstore. So I, I, I do really like that. As far as sunscreens, I always, I'm always testing new ones. And I think part of that has to do with, you know, new things are always coming out and, you know, it really is hard to find a perfect sunscreen. And just when you think you found something that you like, it's the right, you know, blend and it's actually protecting you or it has a tint that just, you know, happens to blend with your skin. You know, and then like the next season, the company will send me like samples of, you know, something even better. So with sunscreens, I would say that I'm just constantly like getting new things. So I'll, I'll just always testing different things. What else? At night, twice a week, I like to use a combo acid pad. So that's, you know, a pad with salicylic and glycolic acid just to keep, you know, to exfoliate a little bit. And I do use a, a prescription retinoid also a couple of times a week. Not more than that because it can it can make me a little bit dry. Moisture. Oh, I'm a big fan of I'm a big fan of moisturizing, especially your hands. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, especially Good. during COVID. Yeah. I like hearing that. With the hand washing, I keep a big, I big, I keep a very big hand cream by my sink at home by all of them. Yeah. Just as a reminder. I, I am one to always have a hand cream with me as well. And then, you know, I always like to say that everything is skincare on some level, whether that be how much sleep you get to, you know, how you are taking care of your mental health. So I always also like to ask my guests how they take care of themselves from a well-being point of view. You know, do you have any habits that you that are kind of like your must do's that, you know, help you just take care of yourself in a broader sense? I think the idea of mindfulness, how should I, say? I think people could achieve like a state of mindfulness doing different things. Well, you know, you're not really supposed to be doing anything, but for yeah. example, you'll, you'll talk to like bird watchers and they, they'll, they feel that when they're just still in the woods looking for birds, they achieve that like mindfulness. They're kind of like zoning out even though they're doing something. Yeah. And so I you know, for whatever it means. But for me, that kind of feeling of like relaxation, mindfulness, I I feel very much when I'm outside um, mm -hmm. getting fresh air, taking walks in nature. I just find it super recharging and relaxing. But then also reading. Like I find, yeah. <laughs> and maybe, maybe, maybe a psychologist might say like, Reading can't bring on mindfulness, and maybe that's true. <laughs> maybe I don't I'm think that. I mean, I'm I'm no psychologist, and I am also not a mindfulness expert. But I, I think reading is absolutely a part of that mindfulness discussion. I agree with you. I feel best when I'm, you know, making sure that I'm reading every day. Right, because there, you know, you're supposed to sort of tune everything out, right? But maybe yeah. except for that one thing, and that's the reading. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I totally agree with that. Yeah. So I, I do try to get in a little bit of fresh air, walking and reading every day. Well, thank you so much for sharing all of your advice and all the things that you do for yourself and also just all this incredible information about rosacea in general. This has been a very fascinating episode for for myself as someone who who has this, and I'm sure other people can also relate. And, you know, I just think this has been, even if you don't have rosacea, I do think this has been a fascinating episode just on how to care for your skin in general, because, you know, I think there was a lot of great tips in here that can can apply to a lot of people, whether that be, you know, 
being mindful of your stress to, you know, making sure you wear a sunscreen. I think those are all universal tips. So thank you so, so much for joining me today. It was really such a pleasure um, and an honor. And I hope that I was able to help some, you know, rosacea sufferers out there. 16 million people have rosacea. So, you know, if it's not you, chances are someone you know does have. So if you've learned anything that could help a friend or family member, you know, just, you know, share the information and hopefully it can, you know, make someone's, you know, life and skin a little bit better. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you liked it, don't forget to rate and review us. And before we sign out, I just want to introduce a new feature that we are introducing to the pod. You can now submit all of your lingering beauty questions. All you have to do is drop in a voicemail and I'll answer it here on the pod. Whether you have a follow-up question about a specific episode or are just curious about an ingredient, routine, or product, we want to hear from you. Head over to sayhi.chat slash cleanbeautyschool to submit your questions. I will put that link in the show notes so you can click on it there. Once we get a few of them, our team will select a few to answer during a special Q&A segment, and you just might be featured on this pod. Thanks again for tuning in, and see you next week.